Yeah, I mean, just on the surface, you know, you don't have to think more than a minute, which obviously most people don't think that way. Uh, that when Paul is saying be subject to the state, yeah, this is the same Paul that's about to be headed by the state. So what he means by subjection is not obedience. Hmm. What does he mean? I think he means a radical subjection. He's not going to rebel. He's not going to lead a revolution. But just as his master did, he's going to, you know, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels uh, and disrupted the legal or illegal process that put him on the cross. But what he did was he submitted, he subjected himself, but he didn't obey. You know, Christ did not obey the, the Pharisees or the religious rulers, or nor did the apostles when they were told to be silent. Uh, no, they disobeyed, and that's why we have the gospel today, not because the uh, submission means obedience, but precisely because submission can be dif differentiated from obedience. Huh. All right? I mean, that's just the, that's, that's there, and once, you, once you've gotten to Romans 13, you should, not, you should be prepared not to read that uh, in kind of a blank, I, you know, the ignoring of what has come before about uh, a radical kind of submission to one another, to God. Um, but also then what Paul is describing in the new Israel is, and I, I wonder if Campbell was fully there, is this completely functional or we need kingdoms and cities and, uh, but that's all given to us in the church. We need that as the fullness of identity. And that's what Paul's describing prior to. And on that basis, then, you can submit to the state. Uh, there is this radical subordination that does not entail uh, obedience or complete obedience. But either way, it wouldn't be a sort of a violent revolution, you know, a violent resistance, or a, because in Romans twelve it lays out sort of right. a nonviolent. Well, and that's that's I think uh, Brian Zond in uh, his book uh, A Farewell to Mars, in one of the chapters, he brings up um, that both in with Jesus and with Paul that they're they're warning uh, Israel about violent revolution against Rome. You know, when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, you know, Zahn is saying he thinks that Jesus knows what's coming, that they're going to they're gonna lift up arms against Rome, and, the, you know, as Josephus tells us, the, the streets of Jerusalem are going to run with blood. Mothers are um, eating their children. Right. Yeah, and that I, I've always thought that Romans 13 was also that warning where Paul is saying, listen, there's a reason that the government has a sword and that they're going to kill you if you raise up arms against them. But instead, as we've already talked about in Romans 12, don't repay evil for evil, but leave it to God. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But that doesn't mean that you, like, don't resist evil. Right? Or in some way, I can't remember what the word that Paul used. Was it? I don't think that it was uh, rebel. It was, um, you know, 
that you don't submit to the state in the sense that you're uh, not willing to do anything, because Paul's going to die. Right. right. He's going to submit to beheading. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the worst they can do to you. Uh, but they, in other words, he's not going to coerce, he's not going to be coerced into being silent or not preaching or, uh, right. or into, I suppose, any number of things, inclusive of doing violence. Yeah. In other words, Paul's not going to pick up the sword of the state to drop the cross of Christ. Right. Now this, this, let me say some harsh things about me about in other words i think uh, i want to i want to make it personal so that it doesn't sound like in other words i think that i practiced a form of christianity but as i look back on it that it was such a thin layer of understanding the you know when i die i'll go to heaven by and by that it you know, as as it's been said, that it was such a you know uh, it was of no earthly good that it was so focused on having heavenly value, uh, and so I think that there is a form of Christianity, and I'm not just projecting this out there. I think it's something that I've passed through. I think what you guys are describing, you've passed through. There is a form of Christianity that aggravates the problem. Is that too harsh? No, no, I think that's what you've been describing in your on your podcasts, and it's and and it's even worse that it can function. That it, that I do think that there's a certain uh, form of Christianity that can almost function as a screen, by you know by which you can sort of do violence behind the screen of church, or of it's it's the worst sort of treachery or almost or the worst sort of evil to to do um, evil in the name of of, of the good. And I think that that's a regular personality type. That's a regular product of a perverse theology. That you can clonk someone over the head in the name of Jesus and be a Christian. That you, that can, you can. Yeah. Yeah. But Tom, bring us back and, and tell us, tell us in a more gentle way, what is the direction <laughs> we need to go? Uh, I think that the direction is love. Um, to me, that's we've been uh, focusing here a lot on the, the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that we keep talking about over and over again, um, if you don't have love, if you don't have kindness, if you don't have joy, if you don't have peace, um, patience, you know, uh, all of those, I'm not sure if you can look at those and go, yeah, none of those apply to me. Then just because you said a prayer at some point doesn't mean you're a Christian, uh-huh. right? Like being a Christian means I'm submitting myself to Christ and I'm, I'm trying to live as he is, as he lives. Um, because, you know, as we've seen him, we've seen the father that that really is who the Father is in what we see in Jesus, and Jesus is about loving our enemy. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't tell our enemy that he's wrong, um, but it also doesn't mean that we scapegoat and hate our enemy. 
Uh-huh. And I think we are really good at scapegoating. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done, uh, I, I'm not even sure what how many years now of pastoral counseling, and I, I see it every day in people. I see it in myself uh-huh. of uh, wanting to, to scapegoat. And then once we've scapegoated, then it makes it much easier for me to do evil to the other person instead of love them as, as Christ has loved them. And, and couldn't it be that in, in one sense the ultimate evil that you could do is to cut that person off in some ways, right? That in other words, you give up, that you, that you, that you cease loving them, that you cease uh, trying to minister to them. That, and and I, I believe me, I'm well aware that in some cases you just have to run. Right, with with narcissists yeah, shake the dust off your feet. Right, and I get and I get that. Yeah. Right, but but um, I think that we can be too quick to do that sometimes, and not being willing to, to sort of suffer. Um, you know, sort of the high for the high requirement of love. But I guess I'm just I just keep it simple, man. I'm just like I think that if if people are sort of uh, habitually unloving or or habitually angry or or, or unkind. I just don't know how you can uh, be a Christian and be those things at the same time. I mean, you, you can say all the, all day long that you're a Christian, and you can even go to church, and you can do all the things, but it's like if you if you treat people like crap on a regular basis, I, I'm fairly certain that you're not following Jesus. So there's no mystery there. Like, I think the kindness is a pretty simple litmus test, you know? Yeah. Um, and those are harsh things you're saying. But maybe we need to say those things, and that seems to be there. You, you've said you're studying First John. That just seems to be there. First John is, you know, simultaneously one of the most, you know, loving of books that promoting love, but it's simultaneously the most harsh in describing mm-hmm. the false teachers as antichrist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and very convicting. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's hard to read. First John and not be convicted um, when he's saying, if you don't love your brother, you're walking in darkness. And I mean, I was just at um, the Moody Pastors Conference, which I would say is not normally the location where you would find a lot of, uh, what's the word I want to look for? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know that they're a mecca for nonviolence. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, I, I happen to have a thing about Methodism and violence, that not just me, but I think historically, uh, and not that Moody, uh, you know, that, that uh, uh, he, Moody, yeah, was Moody. Not, Moody was not Methodist, was he? No, he was Baptist. But um, he, uh, he's brought along by a Methodist mentor. But anyway, I interrupted. Go ahead and say what you No, that's okay. But um, so the first night, um, the president of Moody, uh, Dr. Paul Nyquist, gets up, and he always does the opening night lesson. And it was on kindness. And it was I was shocked, honestly. And, and he did a good job with it. Um, and his the thing he kept going back to was be kind to all kinds and talked about that, you know, in church specifically, we have been unkind. And if we've been unkind, in what way are we trying to show Jesus if we're unkind? It really does seem like the easier thing to do always, right? And this is this is what was happening, you know, 
uh, in, in the 20th century where it's like, well, you guys are liberals, so you're out. Right. And the liberals were saying, well, well you guys are conservative, so you're out. Right. Right, and it's like it's it's so much easier to sort of to to draw those types of lines in the sand than it is to love. Right, it really is. It's easy to just say, "Well, you're not a brother." Right. I, mean, I just heard a podcast. I was I'm preaching through uh, uh, the life of Abraham, so I was listening to different podcasts about Abraham, and I was listening to one, and it was going pretty well, and then this this pastor just decides to go off on Bono, the lead singer of U2. And he, Bono, I remember this happening. Bono had been at a, had been asked by Rick Warren to speak at some sort of church conference and had rebuked the church for not caring about people who were impoverished and specifically people who were dying of AIDS. And Rick Warren, to his credit, he and his wife have, took that rebuke and started a, a foundation. And, and from what I understand, they've, they've done a lot to raise a significant amount of money for people suffering with AIDS. Um, and I think she even goes and does some, some sort of health care when she's there. On the flip side of that, this pastor just doesn't pay any attention to the message of Bono, but is really angry that Bono would dare speak to the church in any way because who was he? besides the fact that Bono actually does claim to be a Christian. Um, but the, the point of that is, like Matt saying, well, Bono is probably liberal, so let's just, we can't listen to anything he says. Instead of saying, you know what, Bono's right, there are people dying of AIDS, and as the hands and feet of Jesus, maybe we should care about that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, did you finish your Moody story? Because I, I assumed that there was another foot going to drop. Uh, no, actually, I was, if that foot you, you think was something negative, it was not. I was actually very impressed um, oh. by his presentation. Yeah, now, Moody, Moody. I would say a lot of, go ahead. I was, I was going to say a lot of the speakers afterwards I uh, would not say that of, but um, Dr. Nyquist, I thought, did a, a very good job with, with just pointing out um, that Christians, unfortunately, are getting a reputation for being unkind. Uh-huh. And that I think what they probably can't see is probably their theology is wrapped up in that quite a bit. Um, but that that can't be who the church is moving forward. And I think that it's a short step from being, really, it's a very short step from being unkind to being violent. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I think that the church is also, I mean, does the church have a reputation in the United States of America for being a peaceable kingdom? Right. Is that the way that people outside of the church, you know, look look at the church and say, oh, those guys are all nonviolent, you know, peacemakers? Uh-huh. No, we're, I mean, in, in large measure, it's like we're, we're waving the flag the hardest and saying, you know, make Iraq a parking lot or whatever the battle cry is. Right. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay. At what point, and this is the muddy sort of thing, it's like at what point do you have, do we as Christians have the responsibility to say, that's not Christianity? Mm-hmm. And so it brings us full circle to someone like, uh, you know, Alexander Campbell, that was it a mistake then to, 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 to um, not draw that line in the sand? I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm asking you guys, is, you, you know a lot more about that stuff than I do. It's like, but because during the Civil War, he wasn't willing to make that a, a sort of a, a deal breaker. Right, 
he he was more interested in unity. Is that right? Yeah, that's my, that's my understanding. And that with the uh, you know with the, the passage of the Civil War. By the way, let let me footnote my our discussion on Moody because I think he's an interesting type of what we're talking about. That he give you know he really comes into his own during the Civil War, and he and John Farwell, who's the Methodist guy who's really mentoring him, under the auspices of President or of General Grant. Uh, they began to preach to the troops that, you know, during the Civil War, who I think were a lar- largely unchurched group. But interestingly, I think that's where Moody began to have an impact was with uh, the, you know, sol- the, the Union soldiers. But, it, but of course, by necessity, the, the context in which this New, I, I would almost call it a new form of evangelical American Christianity takes place and the, the, uh, is then in the cauldron of the midst of a war in which God, in the terms of the, an evangelical uh, Christian God, is particularly on the side of the North. That mm-hmm. uh, Moody then is... Unless you're in the South. Unless you're in the South. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now I'm not historically steeped enough to to know, but that seems. I mean, Billy Graham comes along. Of course, we you know we're leaving out several Billy Sunday, and uh, but Graham, of course, then I think is the proto, of following that prototype, in which his own Christianity by its very nature then, returns to something very much like a Constantinian form of the faith as he is seeking to be in the good graces of those people who are in power. Mm. Anyway, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, uh, uh, a little bit off topic, but in, in, a, in a way that's describing the answer to Matt's question. How did we get here? You know, this, because in, in many ways, the United States is a peculiar place in the world order. You know, it, we're still, you know, everybody talks about that we're still a, a majority Christian. Yeah, but it's a very odd sort of Christianity that we have here. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, and again, I don't want to say too much, but it's like, have we almost reached a, a point of critical mass or, or like such a crisis? a theological crisis or a crisis in the life of the church. And again, I don't want to say too much, but it's like, do we need, do we maybe need to start drawing a little bit more uh, sort of clear lines in the sand as to what is explicitly Christian uh, and, you know, what it's like, what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it doesn't, particularly as it pertains to violence. I think we have, in my opinion, there, there's a difference between saying, this is Christian teaching and this isn't Christian teaching and saying you're in or you're out. Cause I don't, at least I'm not comfortable going to that, making that judgment, that judgment. Um, because I know for me, I, I truly believe that, that God got a hold of me and started changing my life well before I picked up any understanding of sure. Nonviolence. That's a good point. Right. And I was trained by some people, um, that, don't accept yeah. nonviolence, but who who poured the word into me? My yeah. first pastor, yeah. um, I don't think is, but but he, 
you know, he, he poured the word into me and, and, um, um, so we, I think we have to be careful with that, but I do think that we, we do, it, it's okay to say this is, it, it's Christian teaching that you're to love your enemy. It's yeah. Christian teaching that we're to love our brothers. Um, it's Christian teaching that, um, that maybe we shouldn't kill people. Right. But when we say Christian teaching, aren't we saying though, that what that means is it's not just an abstract doctrine, but it's a, it's an imitation. It's a it's a lived out ethic. So it's, so in other words, it's not just we say well this is Christian teaching as if it's just the ideal. I mean we're we're saying it is also it's the ideal, but it's also something that we're called to do. Yeah. Sure. And so it's like if you're not living, and that's I guess the heart of I guess what what I'm saying is is that like if we're not actually living the Christian teaching. And if the Christian teaching is love your enemies, you know, right. do good to those who uh, never avenge yourselves, right. you know, you probably shouldn't kill people, whatever it is, it's like don't return evil for evil. Don't return evil for evil. Right. And it's like once we sort of, um, we're not committed to that. We're not, we're committed to an idol. And I think that what Paul's been doing with this, with this podcast is really interesting because I think that what he's really saying is that you're, we were talking about allegiance earlier. You might want to talk a little bit about. I know you just started the book. You don't have to like you can make, okay. Yeah. You can do enough, um, but that you know that Paul is, is saying that yeah, actually though your allegiance can be to Christ or to death. Yeah, and so even in the context of the church though, that's where it gets really scary. And Paul and I were talking about this the other night, where it's like it's a really scary situation when those in the church have an allegiance to death. Yeah, well, and that. Um, I think that's where we really need to to do to to stand up, and um, I think a lot of our problems in the church in the U.S. really is born in nationalism, um, idolatry. Yeah, and I and that yeah, because um, that that book uh, Farewell to Mars that uh, Brian Zond wrote it ends so it's building the whole time, and and if you haven't read it, this is a spoiler. So if you don't want to know the end, uh, don't listen to this part. But it builds up to Brian Zahn says, I've, I've been to a temple for Mars. So Mars was the Roman god of war. And uh, what's interesting is that the Greek god of war, uh, Ares, was hated. He was an evil god, a vindictive god. Well, the Romans take him, change his name, and he's a celebrated God now as Mars. That's a brilliant turn of ideology. Right yeah, now. yeah. So he is, he's, he's this great God, right, under Zeus. Or, uh, you know, the, the, he's like second in command for the for the Romans. Um, so Brian Zahn went to the um, Air Force Academy and went to the Cadet Chapel. And the Cadet Chapel, there is a Protestant quote-unquote church. Um, and the outside of it looks like fighter jets. And he said, and then you walk inside, and instead of, you know, where we would all, as American Christians, where we would put the cross, there's not a cross there. There is a gigantic sword. Um, but it's supposed to be a Christian temple. Yeah, right? you, you, sent me, you sent me the pictures of that, and that, that is quite uh, disturbing. disturbing. Yes. Yeah. Actually, Brian Zahn's wife was physically sick, and they they left. Uh, they didn't continue the tour. Um, and I I would hope that all of us as Christians would be physically sick at that idea um, that they've taken the the cross of Christ and turned it into a weapon. 
Now, you've said this, Tom, and I've agreed with you, everything you've said. Yeah. Um, but I think that what you've described is that there is an essence to the gospel, that it's at the very heart of the gospel. And if you pervert that essence, that in some way you're no longer doing the gospel. And it's not a matter of excluding any persons or individuals, but of course by the very nature of the case, that by preaching this true essence of the gospel, you're going just by dint of teaching the truth, you're going to create a division. That's tough. Right, but that, boy, that's a tough, that's a tough situation that he's explaining, you know. But I think there's a difference between a, a division and what I don't want to see us do is creating, whether it's a, a scapegoat or whether it's excommunication, yeah, excommunication, um, you know, or, you know, there's lots of people that I, I love dearly that I'm trying to, to teach these things and I've seen love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control and I think I left one out um, in them um, but they're not quite there yet mm-hmm. and and I think we have to be patient with them too and, and that's why you know I don't want to at this point I'm not ready to abandon the sort of institutional church at this point um, because I do think that there are people there that that God is teaching and um, calling to repentance. Yeah, just like He did me. Uh-huh. Just like He did me too. I mean, it's true what you're saying. It's like I wasn't always there. Paul just described that He wasn't always there. And if it weren't for those brothers and sisters who weren't willing to give up, who were willing to be patient with us, who were willing to continue to preach peace to us. Who were, who were not willing to sort of cut us off and excommunicate us because we didn't understand or we weren't spiritually mature enough to accept the reality of peace. Uh-huh. You know, um, thank God for those teachers who were who, who stayed with us, right. you know, and continued to preach. Because I think that what we're talking about really is repentance. We're talking about that the church needs to repent of its violence. Yeah. Not, to, not to run this in the ground, but of course... Uh, the people that will be excluded are not those who preach violence, but those who preach peace. And that's the irony. Yeah, that really. Sure. Yeah. Break it down. Uh, that, that's just the history of the church, you know. And Tom can probably tell you this better than I can. That uh, that it, it's not a problem of uh, oh that we have these heretics and we need to kick them out. Uh, that the history of heresy in the church is that heresy, like in the New Testament, tends to be by nature divisive and want to exclude. And so the, the what you're describing then is this desire for inclusiveness, and I think that's inherent to peaceableness. So this isn't a problem on our on on the side of those who would p- preach a full gospel of peaceableness. I think. Right. This is, in fact, the problem of those who would exclude that full gospel uh, because of an inadequate understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, sadly, is, is true. I, I just want to make sure we warn ourselves against 
that it's certainly possible for us to do that same thing to others. And we don't want to, while we're rebuking that in others, we don't want to turn around and do the exact same thing. Right. Um, right. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like, <laughs> so the other story from Moody is there was, uh, Erwin Lutzer was there and he was talking about, uh, different, so it's the 500 year celebration of the Reformation. So he's going down through these Reformation, um, leaders and he gets to John Calvin. And I just whispered to my friend, uh, murderer, um, because, uh, I mean, that's, he, he literally murdered Anabaptists. How many? Um, there was like, how many people did Calvin burn at the stake? Well, it's hard to know for sure, but somewhere, like a low number is 40. Oh, goodness. So that's a low number. So I turned to him. Because he was kind of giving me grief about, oh, you know, why are you on this again? Because he's heard it from me before. Uh And I said, well, seriously, how many Christians does he have to murder before it becomes a problem? Yeah. (laughs) Apparently 40 is not enough. Is it 50? 60? Like if we found out today, if it came across the news, Rick Warren has murdered 40 Christians. Uh I would think the majority of the church would go, this is a problem. Right, but for Calvin, we're very easy to go. Ah, it was his day and age. Yeah, it was just the time. It was the time, and then which is what my friend said too. And I said, "Well, what? How many numbers do we have to get to before it's not the time?" Yeah, like if we get to four hundred, is then that violent Christianity okay? If we get to four hundred, yeah. four thousand. Yeah, those was, times. Those times were so much more lenient when it came to murder. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, what's forty people? Yeah, right. I mean, who cares? You would think that it would be a problem if the Christian killed one right person. Right. And so yeah. what what you're describing is that there is a disposition to violence that is encouraged by a theological orientation that is alive and well and in fact the majority position. Yes. And in as much as we're excluded, I think, from that crowd, um, we take up our cross with Christ. Mm-hmm. And and so part of this, you know, is then a picture of, I mean, it, it is it, it is the whole ball of wax. It is the, the penal substitution, which in fact takes violence to a new extreme uh, and interprets the entire, or, or the, the atonement of Christ then in terms of a necessary violence. Uh, that you have divine mandate, divine necessity for violence. Right, right. Which, I, that's just not, you know, I, I don't, and, I, and I, you know, honestly, that's where that's where I was for, for many years. I mean, I think that that really is um, the, the atonement theory that you get in evangelicalism. At least it was for me. It was, you know, in that, in that, that Calvinism. You're just getting Anselm, and you're just getting Calvin. Unfortunately, you're not getting the New Testament. And, of course, here we're, you know, this in terms of Christian church, uh, we're, we're Calvinists. That's, isn't that ironic? <laughs> I mean, it really uh, is. That uh, in some way, uh, penal substitution as a doctrine of the atonement has uh, won the day uh, within within our churches. 
It is, it is interesting how Calvinism really has one out. Uh, in, in, that, in uh, the restoration movement, which, yeah. who rails, right. rails against Calvinism. Yeah, you would think Campbell would be setting his hair on fire um, <laughs> over that. Well, even like our teachers in, in Bible college and stuff in the restoration movement, you would think, I mean, there's so much anti-Calvin, and I get why. Right. Because like Paul used to always say in class, it's like, you know, Calvinism is a wonderful system. Unfortunately, it has nothing to do with Christianity. Right. And so you would, but those guys that sort of railed against right. Calvinism in the same way of sort of just bought in at the heart of Christianity in the atonement, Calvin. Right. Uh-huh. Who, who inherited, you know, sort of an Anselmian. And law. it's named after a serial killer. So, in John Wow. I've never heard Calvin referred to as a serial killer. That's I'm fairly sure he's killed more than Jeffrey Dahmer did. So. Uh, yeah. That is terrible. It really is. There is that. Yeah, and it's and, and and by the way though, and I mean, so Paul's point's well taken that if that's at the heart of your understanding of the of the atonement of the cross of salvation, that if violence is built into that, and you know, whether how are we nuance that right? right. That that well maybe God can sort of do um, maybe God can do violence. I as a human, as a sinful human being am convinced that I cannot do violence righteously. Or in true justice, that I'll always degenerate into into hate or into you know something lower. Whereas I don't know, uh, you know, that with the destruction of the wicked, that just keeps getting echoed over and over and over throughout the scriptures, um, and then in the imagery, you know, of of Revelation and places like that, the apocalyptic literature, it's like um, maybe God can. Um, and you know, we talked a little bit about this before about maybe there's a different way to talk about that sort of violence that maybe God can do. But uh, but my point is is that if you read a wrong sort of violence into the heart of the atonement, where it's God's you know murdering the son or, or whatever you want to you know that whatever caricature, um, boy, that's going to really give you a, a nice big fat rubber stamp for your violence, even and, if it's subconscious. And it has, and it does. Uh, that that Christianity, if if in other words, I would equate violence with sin and sin with evil, then a form of Christianity gives rise to evil. And as Kierkegaard said, it's it's then it's that in a, in a counterfeit Christianity that the demonic is unleashed. Do you think that it also uh, our understanding of salvation that? Uh, so again, back to the whether it's Calvinism, whether it's the once saved, always saved, or the you know I said a prayer thing once, because um, that really does give me a, a on a a little bit different a, a rubber stamp to really do whatever I want because I'm forgiven in the end and I can't lose my salvation and I said this prayer once mm-hmm. and I do think that that is the theology of the Judaizers. <laughs> right, but I, but I think that's what a lot of American Christianity is is that idea that um, it's a it's that kind of a, a system of cheap grace where it's you know it doesn't matter what I do because I said this prayer right and so one day I get to go to heaven even if I'm a jerk even if I'm uh, you know having affairs on my wife even if I uh, and cruel, it doesn't matter because I said this prayer and God forgives me because he knows, he knows I just can't do very good anyway. Right. Right. Instead of being, I, instead of submitting myself to Christ, I'm, Christ is just 
I think you said it earlier, my fire insurance that I can do whatever I want. Yeah. It's a terrible thing whenever ethics can't find a place in your Christianity. Right. You know, lived out. No. Ethic, I mean, it's a, it's really just a joke. It's a deception. It's an illusion. It's a, it's a phantom. It's not Christianity. I, that's the only way that I can make sense of this, say that at some point you have to have the courage or whatever you want to call it to, to, to tell someone, like, listen, I, I don't think that I, that you, actually, I heard you say it, you know, not too long ago. I forget who we were talking to, but that you might have to reexamine your faith to make sure that you have faith. Yeah. Christian faith. Right. <laughs> right. That probably, in other words, what you're laying down is there's certain markers that uh, maybe at a minimum we should try not to kill people. <laughs> uh, so. uh, you know, and probably not, you know, uh, multiple people and hopefully not Christians, you know. Uh, and hopefully not 40. Yeah, right. not 40. But actually, Matt, you know, you're. I always use you as the illustration here because you you've used yourself of what bad theology can do. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I was you know I was using heroin on multiple times a day and reading Calvin, reading the <laughs> you know seriously reading yeah. theology, reading the Bible. Um, you know, and and in some way imagined that I was saved, you know, and I'm not even, I don't know. I, I can't pretend to understand that mystery, maybe in some way. Right. Uh, because I had, I do think that I had some sort of experience with God that, that was sort of a profound experience, and then the train completely derailed. Right. Um, and, but I certainly wasn't saved from something very concrete, and that was addiction. Yeah. Um, and violence. I mean, I was doing self-violence to the, to the nth degree kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, like that bad theology was quite literally killing me. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, and as I shared earlier, I was I was in Bible college, married, considering suicide mm -hmm. um, because of bad theology. Yeah. And what the most terrible thing is, and I see I see a lot of this in you and I, is that you know, sort of our violence was maybe kind of turned inward on the self. But I think just as easily, like, that violence can be turned outward onto our brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, that bad theology, in other words, can do real damage to people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's just a failed. Anytime you're doing damage to other people in the name of Jesus, <laughs> you failed at Christianity. Right. Yeah. And so you're not saved, and maybe that's what we need to. Maybe that's what we need here is a redefinition of even the term salvation. Uh, that what you guys are describing is you you had an idea of a future salvation, but not a practical lived salvation. And the, the and, what, and well, I was just going to add to that that the practical part of it is that you actually really do have to give up sin and obey Jesus. That's the thing. And I, I can say that flippantly maybe, but it's like Tom was just describing that, hey, I mean, I, mean, I know I cheat on my wife. I know I do this. And I, knew I do, I do well, that. I do not. I was just using that. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but your point is well taken that that really is, I think, that there's a, there's a lot of that going on in the church where it's like, but no, actually the New Testament is saying you actually have to put sin to death and obey Christ and be surrendered and 
die to your violence and die to your cruelty and die to your right your uh, your hate and all these different things. It's like now you're talking about a whole different type of salvation that requires works. Uh-huh. Let me. Say, I don't mean. I mean. Hopefully, I'm not saying too much with saying that, but I guess I mean it. In kind of bringing this to a to a conclusion, uh, let let me say about you guys that. You know, I, I came to, to much of this much later in life than, than either of you did. I, probably too late to do anybody any good, I thought. Um, and yet, the, seeing you guys, that the, uh, you, you actually listened. <laughs> and and now, you've gone out and done, you know, you're, you're applying these things. And so it is, it's always kind of, I stand back in amazement and think, wow, you know. Uh, look! Look at the transformative power of not just not just Christianity, but of, of, of a good theology that it really does make a difference in people's lives. It saved my life. Yeah, it saved my life. And it, it is amazing to happen that uh, thing that if people would just give it a chance and listen, um, listen to the words of Jesus, listen to the words of Paul. Um, and listen to the words of Paul Action too, but mm-hmm. um, of, of what a, a fair hearing of that can can bring. And I, I do think that that we're so quick, like we've all joked around before, there's nothing that makes people angry and want to kill you like saying, maybe you shouldn't kill anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Peace has a strange way, strange way of bringing out anger. Right? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it really does. But I think that's... we love our violence. It really is uh, the idol in our in our hearts um, is that idol of, of violence that that we want to do. And so, well, Paul's talked about that. But that I think we really do love our violence, and that we're we're sadists. That's sin. Sin is sadistic, right? And it's masochistic. Um, and we have a, a a deep love affair, unfortunately, right? Uh, with the, with with violence and destruction and death. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that, whatever God does, he doesn't do that. So and that, that was, I think, our original point is that we, while we might, uh, whatever this, if we're going to use violence, and, and I think we should use it as, as, not use it, but equate it with sin, that to understand precisely what this thing is, and and you can go all the way down with that, even to uh, you know you're you're describing an inward antagonism. Uh, that in some way we have to create a vocabulary that separates God out from that predicament. Yeah, yeah. I would like to tell the story real quick. I know we got to go, but um, I was working at a drug rehab one time, and a guy was about to get really violent over something in front of a big group of people. And uh, I felt moved by the spirit because, believe me, it wasn't in my flesh. I was ready. The guy was actually in the kitchen doing dishes, and there was a bunch of butcher knives. He just cleaned, and there was this sort of boiling hot water on the stove, and he was getting ready to, you know, he was complaining that he couldn't smoke cigarettes there, that he couldn't talk to the girls and stuff like this. And, um, you know, I basically said to him, like, believe me, prompted by the spirit, I said, hey, I said, I know you're upset, man, but I just want to let you know I love you, and I'm here to help you. And... It totally disarmed him. 
He, he threw down the, the boiling pot of water, um, and I was ready to need be. I was going to duck behind this wall, throw the water, and I was going to stab him with a butcher knife. I was only like a year into the into my Christian walk, you know, and I was off the streets. But you know what I'm saying? But but the spirit said, you know, I, I really felt like the spirit was moving me to say, "Hey, man, I know you're upset, but I love you, and God loves you. That's why I'm here." And then later on that night, the guy came walking up to me, and I thought he was going to want to fight. Um, you know, we came up and I was sort of making my bed or whatever. And he said, Hey man, he's like, let me talk to you for a second. I said, okay. And I really did think that he was coming back for his revenge kind of thing. Um, and he said, Hey man, I want to let you know that I've never, uh, I don't know. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And I want to get baptized. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and so I baptized him, you know, and that's no credit to me. I'm saying that love, the power of love, um, interjected into it. You know, we would, we would always want to just interject violence that that would be our natural tendency would just be go straight for violence. And that was my tendency. But I think in as much as we can creatively learn how to love our neighbor, uh, you can diffuse real situations in the real world, like people like Dr. King did, you know, um, or, or like that day at the, at the drug rehab where it's like that guy got, you know, he got baptized, man, because I, you know, I could have very easily resorted to violence and part of me wanted to. And it's like, but I really feel like love is that sort of power in the universe because God is love, that if you can tap into that power, um, that you have somehow tapped into the power of life itself, and that violence is just the opposite, that once you tap into that power, that you've tapped into the power of death itself. This story, I think if people could see you, uh, would be a more compelling story. Matt is, what are you about, what, how tall are you, about 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, I mean, I'm in super good shape, you know what I mean? I, I lift a couple times a day, and now, I don't know, I'm sitting like, I'm 6'3", 250, I guess. Yeah, or, yeah. Blue, uh, striking blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for some of us, you know, uh, the, the tendency is to violence, but the practical, physical thing is it wouldn't do much good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's when you just pull out your gun, Paul. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Which happens all the time, by the way. Yeah. Uh, actually, that on a serious note, you know, there's a, a guy that sent his whole PhD uh, dissertation. He called and he's created a system. He calls it violentization, and he was terribly abused as a child. And, and he, the thing that he thought saved him from the ending up, he, he interviewed people on death row. He thought the thing that saved him was that, in fact, he was so small of stature that he had, he had kind of had a, a stunted growth that it was sort of a, a, a physical impossibility for him. Um, and I've always thought that, that sometimes that the things that we think are a curse can be a kind of reverse blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that we... Uh, finally got a chance to do this yeah let's do it again it's always a pleasure coming on with you and we uh we love you paul we yeah. appreciate what you're doing and uh we'll we'll, uh, we'll do another one and devote it then uh to to the god the ministry that both of you guys okay. oh that'd be great sounds great all right 